Okay, I'm the only one here. He's going to connect us up. You know what? He's such a beautiful guy. Doc, Dr. Ernie. He got married, right? Oh, I'm sure. And he has probably grandchildren now. Hey, who is this? This is Andrew Stone. Hey, Andrew. Pete Graffinino. How you doing? All right. So we really go back. We're going back to the back. <laughs> How's my, well, my, to my family, you are their fellow East. So you are to me. <laughs> That's right. So life, what did, what did you do afterwards? I didn't catch up with you for 20 I, years. I, I left Apple in, uh, end of 2008. Yeah. And, uh, basically retired. So. Yeah. Been doing good. <laughs> yeah. There's so how, many things. How about you? So, I have, uh, let's see, in 20, see, I, I, I stuck around, then after Steve died, it got a little, like, what, what, I wanted to help the little guy, not to, like the largest corporation in the world, and so 2015, when I found out what had been going on with the NSA hacking Xcode and whatnot here at Sandia Labs, I retired on the day that that story broke and I'd already done, you know, apps for the iPhone and stuff. One of the first Twitter apps and stuff. So th that's why they were interested in it. Cause I had, I had secure and, and communication through that and they didn't want that. So 2015, I quit yeah. and for a couple of years, I taught software to iOS to kids in the neighborhood. And then I got into solar and uh, the grid and utility scale stuff and trying to figure out the transition and, you know, bring some of the capital that we've all made to renewables, basically. That's cool. That's great. Hey, everyone. And this then, is Ernie from here. Ernie. Um, Hey, Andy. Ernest. So I am bridging a conference line, which is recording, and Clubhouse. Fine. So uh, yeah. anytime anyone on the conference line talks, it'll show up as me, but I talk all the time anyway, so it's not really that different than reality. It'll be all of us <laughs> talking. We're the, like, we're people who care about our security. Clubhouse is just another parlor or gab, and they're going to take your, your data, and they're going to use it against you. That's why I was Clubhouse shocked. is evil, but it works for this purpose, so I'm not going to badmouth them during this call. I'm glad those of you who are able to join are joining. <laughs> I'm glad to join. But then again, it was really chaotic 20 years ago, so why should it be any different now? Right. Life is Life like is that. Now, is everybody else on a visual thing or what? No, it's all, it's all Clubhouse is just audio. There, there okay, is some good. visual on the conference, but I never use it. Can someone on the clubhouse line say, Blaine, can you speak? I can speak. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hey, think we Blaine. heard you, Blaine. Thank you. Hi, Ernie. It's David. Hey. Ernie, so anyway. it's Bertrand, but I tried clubhouse. I did not get a code or an invite or whatever. 
I'm glad you made it, Bertrand. Bertrand, I think you should open us up because you probably have seniority since Avi didn't, uh, I don't think he's making it. Would you like to open by saying a few words about your memories of the Mac OS X launch? No, I want to say wh why in the hell did we pick Clubhouse? This is an iOS app. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm lazy and it's fun. Hey Bertrand, it's Peter. It's Peter Graffinino. How are you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, you know, I spend all my day on Zoom or Hangouts. Yeah. These days. The other advantage of Clubhouse is that it is only audio. You can't type, and no one can see what you're wearing or expect to. Oh, I'm well, on Zoom, they probably shouldn't see what you're wearing. <laughs> I had yeah, a word dress up on Monday year. in honor of my, honor of my years of marketing. I think, we, I think we all got over the uh, I remember. Our, Zoom, our Zoom embarrassment many months ago. So. I mean, how could it not be any more appropriate than... So, Bertrand, I remember one rule that you said about Mac OS 10.0. It had to do only one thing well. Do you remember what that was that you pushed it, you know, you pushed down our throat? No, I don't. It was, it had to support software updates. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the only thing Cheetah had to do was be able to execute software update correctly, and it was a good thing. Because, as I recall, we put out 10.0, and within days, we had a 10.0.1 that went out. <laughs> and, and then, of course, the second priority was running classic. And I think 10.0.1 was actually a fix to some other aspect of software update. <laughs> I thought it was actually kind of deliberately we did a software update three days in just to make sure we could. The uh, I don't remember most of the software updates, but I remember one software update, which was not one of macOS 10, which was a software update of QuickTime, and Peter may remember that. And um, the software update of QuickTime broke networking. <laughs> See, I think that I think that was before I had responsibility, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so, so, it's before thanks. you acted responsibly, I think. We, we, <laughs> we're all pretty crazy back then. We, we could still ship CDs to people. You know, the crazy thing, Bertrand, that I was thinking about when kind of looking back on, on the history is that, you know, I mean, we spent almost 10 years working more, making old stuff work than trying to get new stuff going. And really, iPhone was really where we were able to spend more energy looking forward than back. And uh, that's kind of how I would summarize it, you know, those first years. Well, it's true that uh, there was a lot of effort going in things like Carbon and Classic um, and, and uh, merging. And Rosetta and 64-bit and, yeah, man, all that yeah. stuff. There's also a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, well, sure, sure. but. But and Core was, was pretty freaking impressive. Core Foundation was impressive. 
Can we still get to call them I'm not chat saying binary? anything. All the, I'm not saying all the new stuff wasn't impressive. I'm just saying that at least my mental energy was not totally focused on <laughs> on innovating. You know, a lot of it was making old stuff work, which is important, you know, clearly. But um, it was nice to kind of finally get through that after the first few releases. Yeah. Well, are we still allowed you know, to call those chat binaries? At, at next, we were on this porting march. First, it was to this hardware, then it was to that hardware, and then it was, you know, just open step, and then it was a port to this and a port to that. So the last, you know, two or three years at Max was oh, a little bit of innovation, you know, some web objects, whatever. But man, we were so stuck on porting that when we got to Apple, it was like, okay, one more port. Right. <laughs> you know? And I know, but yet we were yet we still managed to do cool stuff, so that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing that uh, Apple has been uh, quite good at is transitions, um, and there was a classic transition uh, to native. There was the, uh, of course, the carbon transition to Cocoa, the PowerPC to Intel, and now there's the Intel to ARM, right? And those <laughs> uh, are have been you know, quite. I want to, uh, on to Blaine's uh, lamenting all the porting. That was the reason that Apple bought Next. Uh, Identify your name uh, on the speech so everyone knows. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, this is William Parkhurst. Uh, you know, hey, William, it's here. Andrew's son. He's somewhat stealthy. I figured some of you might remember that I left Next to go surfing. Um, but uh, Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we did the deal with Apple because it was cross-platform and because it supported Intel. Um, some of you may remember that I kicked off the Intel port. I finally convinced Steve to let me do it. Um, but I was also involved in discussions with um, uh, with Heidi Rosen and, uh, oh geez, what was the, oh, I can't even remember the woman's name all of a sudden. Um, uh, oh, I know who you mean. The, the engineering head, um, Oh, yeah. from, from IBM. Ellen Hancock. Ellen Hancock, oh, yeah. Ellen, yeah. Sorry. So uh, I, was, I, I was involved in conversations right before the deal, and that was, and even after the deal, and that was one of the main reasons they wanted the ability to go help, you know, processor and, you know, and be free of uh, process lock-in. So don't uh, don't be too upset about all the effort that went into making Next Step, um, you know, fungible across processor architectures. It's it's what we had to do, so we did it. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I, I guess you know, part part of it. And this is Peter Grafman, by the way. Um, part of it is that you know I think that there's a big lesson there that, um, you know, you can't just look forward. I mean, you have to look back. And I, you know, I think we all, um, you know, really enjoyed working on the new stuff. But at the same time, we realized that doing doing the compatibility stuff really well was kind of the price to pay to innovate. You know, you can't just run out into a green field and expect everyone to follow you. So um, I realized it was essential work. But I just, you know, I, I think it's unsung how good we were at that kind of stuff, I guess is what I would say. 
Right, and I think that's the lesson that uh, I personally got from Next, which is it's not sufficient to define a, a better place to be, but you also need to, to work on the arrow that takes you from where you are today to the better place. And in fact, I remember it was, it was vectors, right? Vectors. Well, like if, if you think about the way, you, you know, the, the programming model that we started off, it, we didn't go all the way to small talk. And, you know, the reason we didn't go to small talk were a couple reasons. One is, you know, that was distributed as a as virtual image and you, you basically couldn't really do a third party application ecosystem where you could ship third party applications that were independent of each other and in a nice way. Um, then, you know, we didn't go to model view controller right at the beginning. And partly that was, it was too much of a leap for a lot of the Mac developers. And I wanted to come up with something that I thought they could, um, you know, make that next step towards. So it's, it's a real challenge. It's like how, like how much innovated do you want to be if you go too far you're just an island and no one can get there. But if you don't go far enough, not interesting enough uh, for people to, to make a best life. It's, it's a tough balance. Yep. Okay, you they guys are, remember, you guys stage. remember the, they have, to, they have to be in clubhouse to join the stage and then they have to choose to unmute. Everyone else is just ah, hanging out, okay. listening to you old guys Kevin, argue. You know, Kevin, Mark, whoever, you know, Chris, know what to do. Well, hey, yeah. how you guys? Eric Hermanson. I never worked for uh, Nestor App, long-time uh, developer. And uh, I have to thank Ernie. Uh, he spent hours and hours with me in the computer lab. Uh, this is probably what? What year was it? Uh, 92, 93? Uh, the, you know, the, the next step developer system. Uh, I'm having trouble remembering. It's been a long time, but I have a quick story. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember Taligent. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, okay, some people, I, I would assume that. So it's, it's kind of interesting. What happened was, um, and I, you know, I can't remember what year this was, but um, it, it was one of the early intelligent developer conferences. It was a really small uh, meeting, and uh, they invited, I, I put my name on an invite, something, and I got invited. And... Uh, Early on, I think, or maybe in mid-stage, and I, I wasn't really impressed with it. And I sent Steve Jobs, and I never met him before. I, I sent I sent him an email next, and I said, um, you know, I they didn't make me sign it today, and uh, once I come uh, and tell you about it, I will. And I, so I never thought he would write me back. And yeah, his secretary wrote me back and and said, uh, yeah, if you want to, you know. Uh, Steve would like would like you know talk to you if you want to come by. So to make a long story short, um, 
you know, I get there and uh, there was a, a, a the VP, Sina uh, Tamadi, he was there. And, uh, you know, I, I was telling Steve about Taligen. I, I was saying I don't think they were going to uh, do very well because uh, you know, I think you know, they, they, I, I was a big fan of, of, of Objective C and they weren't using it. And so I told them all that. And to make a long story short, I, I just want to say that we got into an argument about mouse buttons. How many, how, how many mouse buttons we should have. And, uh, you know, I was telling that, that uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the two finger mouse is really the best way to go. And he was saying, you know, he, he was just arguing and arguing with me. And I don't want to say that I'm the one that, that asked me about mom. But the la one of the last things I said was, well, you know, you have five fingers. I said, to me, the mouse should have five buttons on it. And <laughs> thing after that, he was kind of like, he was like looking at me, and I, I thought, thought I was crazy. And sort of a couple minutes later, the meeting ended. But uh, that was my my uh, one time, you know, meeting Steve Jobs, uh, you know, uh, for for more than fifteen minutes, and so that was interesting. But anyway, uh, I'll shut up for now. But it's it's uh, pretty cool to be here with you guys. It all worked at next. I never had a chance to do that, but I certainly. And it's uh, now clear right. how many buttons there should be in a mouse, right? Zero. Zero. Uh, <laughs> Steve, Steve uh, you know, really fought us on going to two buttons, but um, we, you know, we basically had to make everything doable with one button, and the second button really. Uh, like an accelerator or for the, you know, the power user. But um, so that's really how it wound up being, at least in the first instance of the user experience. The second button was, you couldn't, you didn't require the second button. You could always access everything with the first button. At least that's my recollection, but. Um, I think uh, that's still the case. Yeah, I don't think we ever required anything for the second button. Of, of the multi-touch patent, you know, I, I was reading that was probably the most valuable patent in U.S. history or something like that uh, a few months ago. Um, is that true? And, and what, like, what's well, the you're, uh, uh, Eric, you're moving too far in the future. We're supposed to be 20 years ago now. Yeah. Before multi-touch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, this, that was at Apple. So, yeah, we don't have to talk about that. Never mind. We just had so, um, Mark join the the panel, I want him to share a bit. Yeah, you know, I, I've actually got a question and this one's been bugging me for a little while. Um, periodically in the press, stories pop up about some guy at Apple, the notional skunk works person locked in his own office who was porting Mac OS X to Intel, uh, you know, under the direction of Steve independently, blah, 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 which certainly sticks with my memory of you know, us running stuff on Intel at Next and doing every build all the way through. Does anybody know where that came from? Okay, so this is Brett Howie. So hey, Brett. I was given the, the task, hi there, everybody. Um, I was given the task of doing that port 
by Bertrand and, and Avi, um, the official kind of skunk works, if you will, um, which we, uh, um, you know, special discussions with, uh, with Intel and others and, and so while the, you know, all the code was constantly being, you know, being built for multiple platforms, you know, there was still the effort of actually making sure that all the rest of that code stack um, was ultimately going to be able to work as, as everybody who works at Next knows, you know, the system was designed inherently to be able to be run on multiple platforms, but there's a difference between doing and actually building for an actual machine. Um, hey, Fred, Fred, Peter here. I, I remember that we were never allowed to let the Intel code break all the way through. Wasn't it? Did it ever? Did we ever totally lapse, or did it always sort of work? Well, we we had in the B and I uh, at the build system, we had a checker. We we were compiling for Intel, and right. if it would fail, it would fail the build. Now you could get an exception, but that had to go through my desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, re I remember those <laughs> bugs. <laughs> Parts of the story, which is there was new labors going on on Intel, but a lot of it was physical, in that you know we had to show up at the weekend <laughs> and build all of the developer systems uh, based on Intel. Oh uh, yeah, Brett will probably remember how much we sucked at assembly line work and how slowly we went. <laughs> but, we, but we were the only ones disclosed, so we had to go do it. I think Bertrand was there too. Yeah. Well, remember, I don't know if, uh, we're working on a number of the weekend where, um, one of the engineers had to run out to fries and buy a Sony laptop, um, and make sure that, um, the, the version of Marklar, which was the code name for this thing, um, um, actually ran on, could do, could, could run on, on, you know, a piece of gear. Um, and I know there was just, it was a rather mad scramble because Steve had, had a, a special, uh, you know, need for it. <clears throat> right. I remember there was always, there was always the odd, you know, hey, we need this wacky frame buffer to work, even though, you know, it's not in the Mac product line. And Brett would be like, yeah, yeah just make it work. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was a full weekend um, exercise to get that, you know, that piece of hardware up and running. Um, but Steve needed it, um, I think, by Monday morning. So we were told on Friday, I think it was. <laughs> I'll share an interesting story. Um, I wasn't involved in actually uh, when Nick got acquired by Apple. But this I is Kevin, by the way. This is Kevin Enderby, by the way. Um, hey, Kevin. How you doing? Hey, Kevin. So I heard about this. I uh, hope you like my uh, my my uh, picture. I dug that two-bit grayscale. Um, anyway, but I heard this story on Monday after uh, Avi had made that deal that uh, he was in trying to port Moth back to uh, PowerPC. Um, and... Uh, Mike Paquette was in the building and he said, well, I got to compile, but, but where, where's the linker? And uh, I don't know where to compile that from. 
to Mike. He says, oh, just use the one on your machine. Well, no, no, I need a power PC. He goes, Kevin never took it out. It's still there in the shipping product. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe everything That's right. is still many, many decades. So I think even That's right. The, the old Max Risk workstation. Yeah, we had a lot of stuff running. Yeah. Use of the fast file format that uh, you know 68k and install. What what that for? What Solera? That was Mike Demoni, actually. Uh, believe it or not, and uh, so I think it was funny because he came from the Java world, and we we stole the uh, Cafe Babe from that from them as <laughs> a magic number. <laughs> decades later uh but uh, they, that's that's the story i'm sticking to it i think mike has passed away but uh oh, demoni demoni's no longer with us i think he passed away from cancer quite a few years ago oh jeez, uh, that's too bad as, as far as the fat um you know yeah. they were they they were uh uh basically go when i was still at, and we hadn't even shipped uh intel so that binaries were under under development because we had we started the intel port and then we quickly were working on multiple ports before we shipped you know any of them any extra ports well pdo portable distributed objects shipped on spark and i believe that my motivation for fat for fat binaries and they definitely preceded java i think we did it on hp spark and uh intel all yeah. kind of at the same time. I had a five-way. I had five. Yeah, and the IBM, IBM RS six thousand two wasn't that? That was like the first port. The IBM one was very early. Yeah. So I ended up doing. I was the only developer to port something to Solaris. So the only thing you could buy for the OpenStep Solaris was Create, and I sold five of them to some guys in in uh, Colorado at the Golden at the School of Mines. But my favorite, this is Andrew Stone, my favorite uh, acquisition story was, you guys remember the carpet rule? Well, after Apple buys Next, it's sort of like they're pilfering the headquarters. And so they, they fly me over there to port for uh, Macworld, Boston, I think it was. So this is the first year they're showing Mac OS at Macworld. And Steve's not even back yet as CEO. It's still, what's his name? Gil, Gil Emilio. Yeah. And so like I'm demonstrating to Gil and he's just like, I can tell he doesn't get it. But anyway, the cool thing was they fly me out to port. They go, you've got 12 hours to do it or overnight. So I had the espresso machine, the famous espresso machine that uh, interface builder was created with. And uh, yeah, that was really, it was like my first time upstairs at Next and I had the place to myself for like eight hours. I think Blaine was responsible for that espresso machine. Blaine, you want to defend yourself? Visitor and stealing some of my helmet chocolate. Actually, I gave it to her. So, what, what's the accusation? That you were responsible for the espresso machine in aisle two. I was. I was. Actually, uh, I remember 
few other people and I, you know, just said we need to have an espresso machine. So I was definitely part of the part of the crew that said uh, we we tried to talk Steve into doing it, and he wouldn't do it. But we said if we bought it, would you pay for it to be plumbed? And they agreed mm. to that. <laughs> and so then, even though we had Adwala juices like for free, we had to pay for the milk that went into or what. <laughs> And we had some kind of milk club going on. It was who was going to go buy the milk to stick in the fridge to go with your espressos? But, you know, yeah. And, and, and I used my non-bearded face uh, for so long that Toby didn't know who I was when he got hired to work on PDO. I mean, for months he was working on PDO, not knowing that the bearded guy who had actually wrote it the first time. <laughs> over over cafe. Bertrand and I used to go out to uh, what was the name of that place? We would go out for a little pressing. What's the name of that place? Anyway, 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 that was all that Jordan Hubbard had to say. <laughs> well, are you going to wait? I'm going to remain suspiciously quiet. So this is Brett Howley. I do want to mention, taking this all the way back, that I was involved in the acquisition team at Apple, remembering, you know, going to Redwood City to meet with the next team as we were trying to decide which which technology to go with <clears throat> um, and then we finally made the decision after that the, the announcement came out in the press that Apple was acquiring next I remember being told to drive uh, to Redwood City and be and be the basically the first engineer at the door, in the door at uh, in Redwood City to begin the discussions about how we were gonna how we go we were gonna make this all work. Um, and obviously it worked pretty spectacularly, but it was uh, it's been one hell of a ride. I think that was when I said we should use uh, MK as
you're not speaking, we're getting some wind noise in the background. Okay, my, my merger story, this is P Peter again, well, well, was, no offense, was guys, going in. I'm really glad MK Linux didn't work and Apple was smart enough to let Next acquire it instead. <laughs> well, MK Linux, the purpose of MK Linux was not to turn that into a product. It was purely to port mock onto the platform um, so that we had a microkernel technology um, base. It was an experiment. It was experiment in two areas. It was an experiment in getting the kernel, which we'd done with the OSF in, in uh, Cambridge. And it was a, an experiment in introducing Apple into the whole idea of open source, because frankly, open source was as about as, as foreign as you could imagine to Apple at the time. And to be fair, the word didn't even exist at the time. No, it didn't. But um, but, but sharing you know, was foreign to the idea of Apple at the time. Well, exactly. <laughs> the whole idea of of you know of leveraging technology that wasn't Apple's just wasn't in the you know <laughs> in the vocabulary at all. So the whole purpose of MK Linux was was really um, a degree of subversion <laughs> to uh, to um, you know ultimately. Um, make a new path possible. Huh. Well, thank you for finally explaining to me that, that to me all these years later, Brett, because no one told me that at the time. Speaking of subversion, we didn't even have source control back then, did we? I think we had CBS. CBS, yeah. yeah. CBS, yeah. And there's CBS and a few Car wrappers. Yep. Don't forget car and, wrappers. And I whatsoever in other directories, because B and I didn't care. So from the Apple side, I think I'm one of the few people who worked on on AUX, on Talogen, on Pink, <laughs> and on well, of course the you know the couple of other interesting projects along the way, porting attempts that Apple did. I I probably can't share in this group at this point. I don't still don't know if it's appropriate to share, but but uh, um, and then MK Linux, of course, which was this what I just mentioned, and then, of course, the next acquisition, and then, you know, Mac OS X. It's, like I said, a rather wild ride. I remember uh, th that on the graphics stack, we had a lot of thrash um, with the transition because of Display Postscript and all that stuff. And, you know, we were trying to get a deal with Adobe, trying to get a deal with Adobe, which, you know, they hemmed and hawed because they were just, you know, discontinuing DPS, and we, you know, looked around at clone, you know, things like, uh, um, you know, GoScript and stuff. And eventually, I remember going to a meeting with Avi and Steve in Palo Alto, and they said, look, can't we just write our own? <laughs> and so I'm like, sure. <laughs> you know, so that became, you know, when we decided just to do a, a client library, um, you know, with the same imaging model, so you know the app kit didn't have to change, you know, move to line to that kind of stuff. So we just kept the same API and we just wrote our own kind of uh, graphics library to the PDF spec. And uh, I think, you know, I was so glad not to be in those Adobe negotiations anymore and just, you know, working on uh, engineering again. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a great decision as far as I was concerned. <laughs> Yes, I agree with that. 
Hey there. Yeah, Go ahead. Ted Goldstein, uh, welcome. Hi there. <laughs> hi, everybody. Uh, so I can recall reading um, Gil Milio's book where he talks about that the reason he acquired Next, this is, if I remember correctly, this is more than a decade ago, uh, that he was acquiring it for web objects. And then the cute little operating system was kind of just a bonus prize. But he was, he said he was motivated because web objects had such a great uh, application platform and Apple needed to move into the web. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I just, just you know, it's an old memory of mine that that he he was lauding uh, web objects at, at the time. Well, thanks, so, Ted, for giving me PTSD by mentioning web objects. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I have a uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I have second that. This is Paul Lambert, and I had to support web objects in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, Paul. So, uh, so, so I have. Uh, when I met oh, Andy Belk is here. I think he's going to weigh in on this too. Uh, I, I have uh, an acquisition story uh, relative to web objects. Actually, um, it, it, it's a, a personal story, right? Which is when the deals kind of started to get uh, very concrete. Okay, and and the deal was signed. It was uh, about uh, mid-December, and. Um, I, I was supposed to head to France a few days after that because I had this uh, one-year-old son and I needed to exhibit it to the, to the grandparents. But I was so excited um, that I, I just canceled the trip, right? Couldn't go uh, to France. I, I, things were churning in my mind. And I was um, the head of uh, WebObject at the time. And so I went to see Abby and say, I'm, I'm too excited, okay? Um, and uh, Abby said, well, uh, do you want to swap with the guy who had web objects and, and, and become head of, um, you know, uh, uh, next step, essentially? And I said, sure, I, I do that. And that's how I became, um, you know, the, uh, leading the effort for uh, what became Mac OS X. Ah, that's great. Uh, that's great yeah. because... Bertrand, I always thought you just, you know, realized that that was where the limelight was going to be. <laughs> I, I remember when I came that the first day and I met you, Bertrand, and you were telling me the fact that you ran web objects, and I was totally confused why it was I was meeting with you, because it had no relevance to why I thought I was there. I, I get the sense that some people didn't appreciate web objects, but I, I loved it. And uh, when they decided to switch to Java, I, I almost had a heart attack. But then I started using Java, and I really loved it. So it was a good decision, in my, in my view. I think web objects was the best thing in its day. I also think 2006 was not its day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so just to provide a little bit more uh, context on the Apple deal, um, you know, there was there were rumors going around that Apple was going to buy B, the, the BOS. Oh, yeah. And and so um, Heidi Roizen and Ellen Hancock came out to London when I was there working for Swiss Bank. They came out for the European Developers Conference, and we met for dinner, and I 
basically started talking to him about, you know, you shouldn't go buy BOS. Uh, you know, Next Step's been in the market longer, has a, you know, a developer ecosystem and so forth. It can print. Um, oh, I'm sorry? It can print. That was the big feature. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, at any rate, they were... Uh, they were looking for a replacement for Mac OS 9. They realized that it was running out of gas and that their internal efforts uh, were not panning out. And uh, they also wanted something that could give them, you know, uh, options for different processors. So I think that um, that Web Objects was really a bonus, uh, but their strategy and their requirement was to have a you know, multitasking operating system that, you know, preemptive multitasking as opposed to cooperative multitasking uh, operating system. And, uh, you know, and to have a platform that was around that, that could also give them uh, uh, architecture independence. And I think web, and I'm a big fan of web objects, don't get me wrong, but I think that that alone wouldn't have been enough to, um, well, maybe to pay as much as they did. Yeah, although I think that part of it was the issue of developer tools, because I remember at least in the Rhapsody days, for those of you who were around for that little interregnum, like yellow box, yellow box on Windows, everyone was super excited about that, at least in certain pockets of the company and in our marketing materials. So I think there was some buzz around that, uh, whether or not it was real, whether or not Gil Amelia believed it, it's hard to say. Yeah, I have to say, those of us who had to actually work on Windows were a little bit less excited. I was on that evaluation team. We evaluated B, we evaluated Solaris, we evaluated NT. I'm trying to remember, we had a one or two. AUX? Pardon? AUX? AUX, not really. Because uh, AUX was based on System 5 um, architecture, and there was really no way, place to get it from at that point. So, no, that wasn't a serious. Um, but we basically looked at just about everything. And I can tell you from the from the evaluation team, it, you know, being lost out because once you got right, up, you know, below the surface, and as as funny as I think it, you stated the fact that Next could print, that was actually a big deal. <laughs> publishing was a key portion portion of its, you know, you know, market dominance for a while anyway. And so, uh, you know, although was, I, uh, I confess, I'm not particularly, pr I'm not particularly proud of the printing architecture for the first couple of releases. So. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Trust me, if Sorry you about that. Better place, somebody who worked at ISVs. <laughs> yeah, P printing and putting putting fonts on the screen were two enormous virtues that Mac OS and only Mac OS had at the time. Yeah, it, it was uh, part of the Mac OS secret sauce, and, you know, in some respects. So. Right, 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 right at the time of uh, acquisition, Ellen Hancock's strategy was to to basically use Solaris, not to use Mock, but to yeah, use she, Solaris. She wanted, she wanted the deal of the century. Yeah, she wanted to do a three-way deal and combine, yeah. you know, Sun Solaris and get Sun's muscle behind the, the deal too. And and actually then they would provide all the server hardware yeah. and and then use Next Step as the 
you know, the client software and, uh, and, you know, and then have processor independence. And so that was her, that was her vision. And she was, um, you know, I told her that's not going to work, you know, uh, you know, I told her at the time, I said, that's, that's just not going to work with Avi, uh, in the mix. Cause he's, he's not going to let you do that. But <laughs> yeah, she, she looked at, at the next acquisition as I understand it more about next step and less about the operating system. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and then, you know, of course, um, frankly, we couldn't stand her, but <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> understand, understandable. She came from IBM, yeah. but, uh, but, but, but still, she didn't realize that um, that she wasn't going to be able to pull that off with uh, you know with with Steve and Abby on the other side. Yeah. Before we leave Web Objects, I gotta say, <laughs> Next almost went public based on Web Objects over the Java bridge. Mm -hmm. Right. And what, that was what we yeah. Abby showed. I mean, he held up the S3. And so that's why we had our books in order. But I swear, we were about ready to go IPO a second, uh, you know, for next, the first time, on the basis of web objects. So it wasn't our most stellar product. It was workable. And in 1970, 1996, not bad. But, you know, that was the icing on the cake is how I understood it from the deal's perspective. Yeah. I, I can tell a story about that that might be of interest. Um, so uh, I'm Kevin Klein, uh based out of Austin and Dallas. I, was, I don't know who who here is uh, who is here from the field, but uh, campus consultant and, and I was the SC and, and next um, right up to the uh, the whole changeover. Um, I also built the uh, e-commerce engine behind Dell.com. From yeah, it was all built on web objects. It was the whole thing that Steve and, and Michael uh, were fighting about. Um, I can tell you that, you know, being in the field and trying to figure out how do you build caching systems when you, <laughs> like I didn't have, you know, I did a lot of skunkworks work, but, uh, yeah, web objects, we were, we were doing all sorts of crazy things with that to get that, uh, that first version of the store, uh, the Dell computer, uh, store out the door. Um, really interesting things. I got a thousand different stories I can tell you about that, but uh, it was it was interesting being in the field. And I remember, you know, seeing all the articles and seeing the Dell stock uh, price uh, split twice during the time. And they, and they actually said that it was all about um, it was all because of um, web objects, well, because of the, the store. And I was able to build the store because of web objects. Now it was interesting because then Microsoft paid Dell more than a million bucks to. Uh, to fly me and a handful of people up to uh, Microsoft to try to help them figure out how to get, I don't even remember what it was called. Uh, something. Yeah, and it just was like such a piece of crap compared to it. Because uh, they, they ended up selling so many engineers. I get disgusted with the effort, even though it probably would have been much more financially viable for me to stick around and suffer through Dell. I had been an outsider that whole time. You know, me and my small team, Built that skunk works, but I can say I, I know that uh, I hear a lot of engineering voices out there. But no matter what you think uh, about web objects, I, I won't say that I'm like uh, that. I have the same engineering depth than anyone else that's on, other than it was the tool that we used, and it was because of that tool. Six weeks in, they did not believe that we could hit the Christmas buying season, but but it's because of the tools that y'all built. That we hit that buying season, and Dell, I think, made all the money back that my company charged them, which is silly. I, I learned this the hard way, 
We made, they made all the money back like six days into that, that uh, story going live. So um, it, it, it enabled Next, obviously, but it also enabled, I mean, it, it enabled Dell like you wouldn't believe. It was just, it was crazy. Now, then when Michael got into the pissing fight with Steve, um, obviously that's when, you know, that's when uh, they quickly tried to figure out, like, uh, you know, they uh, they said, I couldn't tell anybody anything about anything. And, uh, you know, now that it's been however many years, I'm like, okay, maybe it's okay to tell a story or two. But uh, it, from that standpoint, it was an impressive product compared to what else was out there. So thank you all for doing what you all did. Okay. Yeah, I have, I have a web. I have a web. There's Peter again. I have a web object. Uh, so, kind of, from my perspective at at Next, right before the merger, you know, I was working on graphics and and um, technologies like that, and I was like beginning to get antsy because I was like, okay, well, so if we go public on web objects, like, where's the place for you know, system software, graphics engineering, who wants to like upgrade the world in terms of, you know, platform graphics and, and all of that stuff. And I was like, seriously trying to figure out whether, you know, should I leave or should I like retool as a like database guy or whatever. And so I think the deal happened like just in time for some of us who were there with our OS chops um, to hang around. So, um, you know, that's oh, yeah. one thing I reflect on. We're right on the edge of, of, of going, you know, in different directions. Um, and the timing on that was, was amazing because all that knowledge hadn't disappeared, which was, would have been awful. Yeah. Some of it had, as I recall, there were people on the OS team who had disappeared in the previous six months that uh, left some gaping holes. We had a few more people join the panel. Anybody else had something they wanted to add? You know, I'll ask real quick because Kevin mentioned it. How many campus consultants do we have here? I know I'm one. Um, Bryce Jasmer's on. He was one. Who else? I was. Well, yeah. I love Sandy Cold. That's all I got to say to that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kenny, did you want to say something? Just uh, raising my hand as a former campus consultant. So I have a hypothetical question for the room. How much do you think it would have changed life for Apple if it had written its own GPU drivers? We did. So um, <laughs> at the time, I'm not sure we could. Because, yeah, but uh, no, that was one of the big uh, that was one of the big things in OS ten is that we we demanded um ATI and NVIDIA to let us control the the GPU drivers. And that's uh that's how we were able to do things like the compositing windowing system and all that stuff. And you know, that was very much not the case uh previously. Um and you know, I credit John Stoffer for really pushing for that. You know, mm. it's like you know, if we want if we want to do these things, like you know, we had basically virtual memory working out to the graphics card to manage the memory, integrated with the mock virtual memory, and all kinds of clever stuff that that those guys did to make you know building 
accelerated windowing as well as games kind of into the OS um, that, you know, originally, you know, I, I think I'm on record at some point as being very skeptical of acceleration during the transition, but I quickly became a big fan as I saw kind of what the cards were capable of. And, um, you know, I think we, uh, I think we jumped on it maybe before the Windows guys did, and that's why our OS was always a little slicker in terms of UI. Yeah, yeah but the problem is, is we were never able to get the source code to their drivers. Uh, Simon Douglas, I know, would just about tore his hair out every time. <laughs> yeah, them. well, there, there's, we, we had source code to much of, we had source code to much of the drivers, but there was, there was a small kernel, you're right, there was a small kernel of functionality that um, API and NVIDIA wanted to keep close, which we understood, but we were able to add all the API points we wanted in order to do our kind of virtual yeah. memory and, and command buffer management stuff. So um, I think we ended up in a good place as far as all of that stuff goes while respecting their IP. The problem was is that it was in that kernel of code that they owned that kept on taking our system down all the time. <laughs> well, the truth yeah, is the last two weeks of every release was just debugging the graphics drivers. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Me up all the time with all the panics we had. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I mean, that's, uh, I, I understand that. I think that, I mean, what can I say? I mean, they, you know, it, it, I mean, it was worse with the printer vendors, but they weren't like under the whole OS. <laughs> but, um, Hey. You know, I mean, you have to, you know, these guys aren't just, aren't just going to give you their IP down to the, down to the nuts and bolts. So, you know, there had to be a compromise and, um, yeah, we paid for some instabilities and, uh, you know, but I think in balance, what we were able to do to push, push stuff ahead, um, was worth it. I remember <laughs> sitting through months and months of BRB. From Asgard. Oh, yep. <laughs> months and months of BRB. Uh -huh. You know, the runtime, my Objective-C runtime was, you know, locked and loaded. And I would sit there and I would go through the BRB bugs and I would go, has this been code reviewed? Because I'm pretty sure I helped put that into the radar system, whatever. Has this been code reviewed? And whenever a kernel bug fix would show up that hadn't been code reviewed, I would just say no. And make go back and at least look at it because wow, we were trying to do so damn much stuff so fast. Yeah. You know, you really somebody had to say slow down at least for this critical stuff, and I claim credit for doing some of that. I still remember Bertrand's metaphor that it was like trying to pull the tabletop out of the table without disturbing the silverware or the candlesticks. Uh, replacing like was it quartz? Display postscript, driver kit, the IO kit, and well, the micro kernel, the version of BSD. BSD to four. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the list the list of things that we were trying to change all at the same time was insane. <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> it was and insane. <laughs> and it, it made us insane. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it works. Yep. That's why it works. It was yeah. just crazy cool. enough. Was so there was, there, oh there was a guy um, uh, working, I think, in uh, in QA, 
who uh, asked to uh, see me for uh, you know in a one on one um, so i uh, i said sure uh, and uh, i'll come to your office i would always go to the office of people um, rather than the reverse and um, he said, we, we are doing, trying to do too many things, all that. And somebody said to my friends, this team is led by a madman. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Completely. Wow. Was that the time you got the nickname Beaker? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's different. That's different. So, Bertrand, so at, at what can you report about this gentleman um, to this day? Well, um, you know, he, 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 he really truly said that. And so after a few months, I think he left, right? So, <laughs> so <you see> <laughs> well, maybe he was right. <laughs> at least you are our madman. Yeah, I think if you didn't if you didn't go for the madness, you you didn't stay long. <laughs> hey, so um, going to again, going back to what Blaine was saying about IPO egg on the basis of the Java Bridge, which itself is very scary. Um, who was who was it who signed us up to do the HPUX port of the Java Bridge? <laughs> Wiley, were you involved in any of that? I claim no credit for uh, doing right, it was one. It was one PDO platform after another. Solaris was the first, and then HP. Some business folks came in and said, we got HP hardware, port PDO to it so we can, you know, get onto their platform. That, I mean, it was all led by you know, PDO getting us onto Wall Street and then into other server arenas is how we got well, we had all the I remember we had graphics up on HP Workstation, didn't we? You talk on, on HP UX or on OpenStep? Because I still have a PA Risk OpenStep machine. Why? Oh yeah, yeah, but, but I don't when I got to Apple, I was actually an edition running Next Step. Yeah, yeah, the Next Step stuff was easy, but uh, in, in comparison, it's just that you know, I, I don't suppose many of us have actually looked at the Java bridge code, but uh, I had the joy of doing so. <laughs> and I'm telling you, because the stack went backwards, none of that code worked. Oh, yeah, no, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, supporting foundation to HP where the stack goes backwards, and man, I had to hack like crazy to make it yeah. work. Oh, God. Uh, but the the time of acquisition and web objects and all of that. Um, am I misremembering that what we were ready to go public on was one million dollars profit on the fifty million in revenue, and now look where we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's some perspective right there. I remember so, when Steve. Jeff in like the fall of 97 said, you know, we're going to be doing this major massive turnaround of Apple that people are going to write business books about. And I said, yeah, if you live three years here, I'll be impressed. So I had to eat those words. <laughs> Hi, um, I had a question while we had all this brain power here on, and memory on the can link, which was. <laughs> I really did. But they paid us out of our, of our next stock and I bought my first big screen TV 
put the rest of it in the bank, you know, hundred k or so, and 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 you know, bought my you know, joint joint Apple. Uh, 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 what is it? The, the 10% ESU, your 10% salary or 85% employee stock purchase salary. program, ESCP. Yeah. Man, that night, the years 96 and 97 or whatever, it was like, I can't even tell you how, I mean, a thousand times, I mean, you know, 100, 100 X. 100 X on that early stock. Thousand X. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't feel bad. Kevin blew all of his stock on Ferraris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey Kevin, it's Peter. Um, I've lost track. Are you? Did you get another one after the yellow, or is that the last one? Which yellow one is that? Back in the early '90s, uh, my brother and I convinced my mother to buy 10 shares of Apple stock, and she always joked that they would be our inheritance. And it turns out it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paul Lim. So that was my question with this brain trust on the call right now about the financial impact. This is Rohit Kari, who's from the Next Step user group stuff with Ernie, um, which is that where was the path, critical path between Next Step as an operating system and Apple's later financial success? And it occurred to me, listening to you guys, it might have been the ease with which iTunes was ported to Windows, making the iPod part of the transition happen. Because, of course, you know, the Apple we have today wasn't just going to be more iMacs and, and stuff running, you know, OS X directly. It was the beginning of the foundation of the next hardware. But I was going to say, again, did A, is that how people recall it because they were there? And B, yeah, how much did it make a difference that, you know, we were able to port not just the whole OS, but to port on top of other operating systems. And that's something that we thought was crazy, making the iPod available to Windows was actually pivotal. Well, you know, credit, credit to the – Peter again. Credit to the QuickTime team. Really, the, the force behind being able to put iTunes on Windows was QuickTime and their ability, because they had a cross-platform um, kind That's of mini, heritage. almost like a mini Mac OS um, port that uh, the, they were able to use to get iTunes over there. So, but I think I think the inter more interesting yeah, is on the kind of the hard the hardware side how how um, you know Steve's curiosity with with um, iPod kind of made the whole, you know, that was the first step towards iPhone. Um, you know, even though none of us were involved in the software in the early days, but, um, of, of iPod, but, uh, you know, as it, as it moved on and it became clear that, you know, we needed a real OS and stuff, uh, you know, I think that, that dalliance really, that's what kind of set, you know, I think Apple, um, it was really, I mean, iPhone is what kind of set everything in motion. I mean, we were, we had, we had a lot of success, obviously with Mac OS 10, but, um, you know, after iPhone, everything just went crazy. Yeah. Some would argue that the, the flexibility and port portability of Mac OS, which is where Scott accomplished the impossible by squeezing it into the iPhone. That was really the DNA that you that we forged in the first four years of just porting and reporting it to all the different hardware and graphics drivers and creating that culture of because remember there's so few code bases out there that were cross platform back then. And yes, to build remember the, we did a first attempt at, at the trimming it down by doing the Apple T V, you know, thing. Right. I remember I was putting and stripping the hell out of it. 
Yeah, I remember the offsite where we there was a discussion whether we were going to do a phone or a set-top box. And a lot of us said, well, set-top box is kind of easier because you can have a fan and stuff like that. But Steve really wanted to do phones. <laughs> he was a lot smarter than I was. <laughs> The paradigm for making an OS portable back then was Windows CE or Java Oak for set-top boxes or 3DO. And it's hard to believe how mind-blowing exactly. it was to take a real operating system and, and run it on a device that size, which, again, I, again, how, what, what bridges the gap between those two stories of Next and the I era? Andrew, did you have something to add? And I, I would I, – I, Peter, again, sorry. <laughs> I, I, all these things bring back memories, but – I would say, you know, on iOS, we did have all the source code for the drivers. <laughs> <laughs> and later the chip. Yeah. Well, speaking of multimedia, I actually had a, um, uh, I had a question. Am I, am I misremembering? I think as a user, like, I think the public beta didn't, like, the DVD player and the software DVD player didn't work in the public beta. And I remember being, as a user, very, Concerned about what what that might have signaled. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we were still working out all the issues with the DRM at the time. I believe there's a reason we're not celebrating the 20th anniversary of the public beta. That was a painful process. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, uh, you know, I remember, or well, I guess I wanted to ask about, like, what was the, you know, given some of the like the the, the attitudes, like let's say around open source, you know, around that time, like, what was the impetus behind what led to the Usenix paper about the merging of um, of uh, you know HFS plus and and uh, you know the Unix backgrounds like that. Like, what was? Uh, can somebody comment on on like how that came to be or who pushed it or that kind of thing? Which which <laughs> aspect of what? The Unix. Uh, I, I, I want to give props to Wilfredo Sanchez because at least Brett correct me, but we had just set up a CVS repository and there was some formal stuff pulling in a lot of the the BSD 4.4 work. But then there was a lot of Wilfredo just randomly grabbing open source stuff and stuff in the repository that created a lot of the cultural shift that started happening in the core OS team. That at least for me was well, the sort of informal cultural part of it. So well, that was part of it. I mean, we, I, you know, I still remember having this conversation with, with uh, Avi because we kept on pushing for wanting to do open source and meeting with him and saying, be careful what you wish for. Um, but yes, certainly Wilfredo was doing a lot of porting of uh, of various packages um, over. But you know, we there was a lot of there was all kind of a you know subculture um, of you know people wanting to do as much much as we could. And because of the BSD work we did, you know, there's where uh, you know Jordan comes into play, right? And um, you know, we were looking at various ways we could leverage our the where we were pulling some of you know the whole bsd core of the system i and we're afraid of certainly babysat a lot of that. I, I i gotta i gotta i gotta pitch in here before i came to next i was at bell labs and i was running system five and yep. i merged in sun os the industry revolted <laughs> i left joined next they donated the spec, it became POSIX. That became the basis for all open source Unix without commercial licenses. So it took a few years for that to cook. Because when I joined Next, I mean, there was no open source yet. But, you know, the reason you have a free BSD was because commercial Unix died. 
because there was a right. stack for everybody to go rewrite it on their own. Yep. So it was a suicide. <laughs> with a suicide pact. As a friend once said, the only thing worse than not POSIX compliant is 100% POSIX compliant. <laughs> <laughs> I have no POSIX, believe me. I mean, I built the worst multi-kernel imaginable yeah. by just jamming them two together. We, we went off and did a microkernel. Bill Joy, I was on a team with Bill Joy to build a microkernel that they all did. That's right. You were on Spring. I was there when it was named Spring. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And I never got that fast ICC into the kernel. <laughs> I was hired by Avi to do. <laughs> well, the thing that impressed me was first week on the job, I had to cope with uh, the fact that Emacs, uh, that we, we, we shipped an update to Jaguar <laughs> that broke Emacs. Oh. And, you know, it just, it didn't get built, right? It wasn't in, in, and, you know, just some, some address change and it was a fixed binary. And I said, well, you know, can we roll and put out an update for Emacs? And Avi and Bertrand and everybody, you know, in, 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 in uh, the, the OS management team said, yeah, we should roll. And I said, we are rolling an operating system build for developers for Emacs. And it was that important to, you know, where we were at that moment in time. Because who else was using Jaguar? Yeah. Well, I guess it was. <laughs> it was the most used app. <laughs> I still remember the day someone pointed out that the terminal was used by like 10 to 15% of Mac users. They made it one of the, like the top 10 bundled apps, I think. <laughs> Much to the horror of everyone in the pre-next days who loads the command line with their very existence. Yep. That was my one piece of, of contribution to it was I think I may have been the one who suggested we move terminal from applications to utilities to keep peace between the two camps. Oh, well. <laughs> Sadly, Emacs is gone now, Ted. Is it? Oh. Yeah, you have to you have to deal with MG now. <laughs> what? I've never, yep. Just, never just heard find it. Yeah. Is that uh, the new VI? No, it's uh, it's. Oh uh, no. Emacs Lite. I was just going to add one note that uh, I I think it's worth noting that uh, even today uh, Mac OS still remains a Unix 03 certified or con conformant product, including on Apple Silicon. So. It's still there. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was easy to do, as Brett remembers. But does F-Sync actually work? That's the question. Yes, but it doesn't sync. <laughs> right. Hey, it returns success. It always works. That's all we care about. Yeah. Sometimes in the real world, it matters. <laughs> but What's those days are over. I don't care anymore. Exactly. So speaking of terminal, uh, this is Bryce Jasmer. Speaking of terminal, does anybody remember shell? Oh, yeah. Uh, next up, there was both Absolutely. shell and terminal. Yeah. yeah. So it's so painful to have two different things that behave very differently from each other. Shell, shell was the Brian Yamamoto special, wasn't it? Yeah. I wonder where Ed Moy is today. You know, he is the unsung oh terminal. Oh, my gosh. I miss Dennis. 
And no, wasn't it Garth? Wasn't it Garth Snyder who revitalized Terminal? Maybe. Hey, who revitalized Terminal? I thought Garth Snyder. Ed Boy maintained it. Made it scroll. No, Ed did the big. Depends on which decade we're talking about. The original <laughs> terminal did did not scroll. Did not scroll. It was literally, you know, you 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 claimed your TPY, you know, with an height. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> um, but then it scrolled, and I thought Garth did that, but maybe I'm wrong. So so there was one piece of code that I guess Ed must have done that really impressed me, that you could change the, you know, the dimensionality of the window for the terminal, and it would update the, the XY, you know, the, the, the XY coordinates yeah. in the environment variable. Yeah. That was And, and yeah. in order to do that, right, because environment variable was copied, you know, copied after fork. And so, you know, there was just no way to get that information all the way down into the child process, except to write really special code to monkey, monkey with that one exact, you know, environment variable. And it works reliably all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's the one piece of kernel code. I mean, one piece of user of, of where the kernel was poking directly into the user process dynamically as as the event stream <laughs> updated. Yeah. 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 The first what? time I realized that that actually worked, it like literally blew my mind. It blew my mind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, just like just like directory directory hard links, we were never uh, unwilling to commit obscene acts if it would further the user experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I still remember in a meeting trying to explain to Dominic why my mother needed file system snapshots and directory hard links <laughs> were a bad idea. I still remember Clark Warner uh, and I, the, the worst fight of my career at Apple was Clark Warner in the basement of IL-1 where he was yelling at me that adding case sensitivity would destroy the user experience for his grandmother in terms of HMS Plus. <laughs> Ernie, I think we all had that argument. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it happened every three years. Or, we should be like glad he's asleep it. now. We'll be having it again. Yeah. Are yeah. these grandmothers so old they predate uppercase? <laughs> I remember having a knockdown drag out with Avi in his office once about which networking stack we were going to use in the first version of Mac OS 10. Screens versus sockets? No, open transport. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was pushing for Mentat streams because we got all the drivers for free, basically, and he wanted to write the thing from scratch, and, and, and we did. So I integrated streams from Dennis Ritchie into System 5, and I loved it. So Mac OS 9 had it, and I thought that was a good thing, except it did not at all know about multi-threading. Yeah, multi-core streams fell on its face and died. So you made the right call to not use streams going into Mac OS X. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we had the same problem with the, the C library at the time, too, but we found a solution for that. Speaking of threads, did we ever figure out the thread behavior across four? I can't remember. 
Threat behavior in which? Threat behavior across work. <laughs> well, figure it out, quote unquote. No, nobody ever did. The signals, you know, doesn't, don't handle most. I mean, they're just things. When I got to next, I tell you, I tried doing some code to do like a socket in a separate thread. It panicked the kernel. Mm-hmm. This, was, this was a research CMU kernel that's being asked to do things for Unix that had never been done before. <laughs> yeah, what, what was it? There was one special thread uh, that all events had to be delivered to. Thread zero. Yeah, zero. Yeah. Thread zero, yeah. And can someone, can someone confirm that the guts of iOS is pretty much the same BSD mock hybrid that we mashed together 20 years ago? Yeah. I, mean, I think that's true. Is is the same core OS and between Mac OS and and uh, and iOS? It's just there's you know it's trimmed. Pretty mind-boggling when you think about so, it. So let's go back to uh, yeah, and, and the gra- the graphic the graphic stack is basically <laughs> the same with uh, obviously some omissions and stuff. There was a day when. All of the Macs in Apple's data centers were having a problem, um, and these were the X serves, and they were occasionally kernel panicking. And it was uh, only the ones with, uh, I think, uh, maxed out RAM. And uh, and that was because the, the team that was doing the hardware QA didn't have enough memory to max out any of the ones they were using. And heard that one. <laughs> well, these, these were the XRG5s, and they didn't have enough CPUs to max out the CPUs in them, so uh-huh. let alone the memory. But I remember the day that I um, went over to Jordan's office, and I said, look, you know, I filed this radar about how we can't get any kernel panic over the network. You know, it wouldn't write kernel panics to the disk. It would only write it out over the network to the TFTP server, and we had it all set up, and it worked in our lab. It worked everywhere, but not in the production network. And he said, well, it's because it's custom code. Like it's not using the TCP stack or any of the other stuff. It's, it's doing it all uh, within a set of code that can only do TFTP only over that hardware. Um, and it turned out it was an ARP issue with Cisco routers because it was only ever tested on the Dell routers that were in the, the uh, IL buildings. And the fellow who wrote it was an intern and he'd be back in October and could look at it then. <laughs> <laughs> tell me they're like oh, it must be great working for such a big company with all those resources and i'd be like yeah not so much <laughs> well there are plenty of resources just you know not for servers not for extra steve <laughs> wanted us to run lean and we used to say anorectic <laughs> not lean <laughs> so i think uh, i could be uh uh, being in IT at Apple, being an ISMT, I had the uh, privilege to be one of the very few people on Earth who has installed and run Oracle Database 9i on Mac OS X on XServes with Oracle Rack over InfiniBand. And <laughs> friends, don't let friends do that. I know. <laughs> I still have nightmares. Uh, but if you want to see the worst lineup, like... Um, the most friction between two companies. Look at the release process for Mac OS X and the release process for Oracle database. And try and get something actually like certified by both. Yeah. Wow. 
that was. <laughs> I remember the naive optimism where we thought because Larry and Steve were such good friends, the companies would just work so well together. Yeah. I, I think yeah, there was a, demonstrated why IT, like Kansas, is a great place to be from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just like thinking you could get a file system from a CEO with a ponytail because he seemed cool. <laughs> I, uh, uh, remember the day that there was a tour of the data center, and I don't remember exactly what year this was, but I started in 2003, um, so it couldn't have been before that. And there were a bunch of executives, and they asked the CIO why all of the uh, NOC staff were using Windows laptops, because they all had black laptops, but they were using PowerBooks. So he had the choice of saying, yes, they're using Windows laptops, or yes, we give our NOC staff things that were discontinued four years ago. <laughs> um, I wasn't there to see the, the result of that conversation, but three days later, everybody had a um, MacBook <laughs> and Intel systems. It was impressive. Wow. I'm still trying to get over the fact that MG is installed on Mac OS now. When did that happen? <laughs> no one knows the tale. <laughs> No one will admit to it. No. Well, I'll tell you my—I'll uh, I, tell you my first uh, uh, my first kernel panic uh, caused by GCC. Um, there, there were um, there was a there, there was a, a few lines of code in the pre, in in CPP in uh, in the compiler <clears throat> that looked to see whether or not. A file had already been included, so that there wouldn't be any, you know, recursive includes. And because everything included everything else, you know, it's supposed to be all if def around if you if def you already included or not. But uh, but quite a few of the source code files uh, didn't have that. So there was special code in in the CPU processor just to to check. And what it checked for was did it did the file system number and the inode number be the same. Um, it used uh, it used a private uh, um, I open call to to open um, uh, the, the uh, you know the header file very quickly, and uh, it didn't have the full checks that it was supposed to have. So it just so happened that two files. Had both the same uh, file number and, uh, and and mount ID number, um, and uh, it it uh, it would open. It was the wrong thing, and somehow it would slip through and uh, uh, infinitely pull in <coughs> the kernel itself into the uh in, into the address space of the compiler which of course uh managed to <laughs> to to overflow and because it that that was already in memory and and it crashed uh the kernel and of course that you know fixing that bug was was exactly a one-line fix to not look at the uh the file system number but the I know. 
now that 20 years elapsed, that can, can I finally just tell everybody how much you and DevTools tortured us over the years by breaking us at the last minute for every single release? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was my job. I'm pretty sure you told us that at the time, too, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, I think I made that observation once or twice. I, I just wanted to get it off my chest. The legal isn't here to complain about how CoreOS used to break them every release because they had to update that uh, dang about file with all the random open source crap that got jumped in. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, one point at next, we. I think it was release 3.3 or something, we actually managed to pull off a successful um, phase code trees of, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three, up through the stack. It all worked. It was beautiful. Um, it happened once in my career, and I was happy for it, but never again. 3.3 <laughs> three was a good release. I remember that. Snow Leopard is still my all-time favorite. Yeah. Because there were no features in it. So we got more features in that one than anything else. Right. <laughs> People still are nostalgic for that release. Me too. The, the users are nostalgic for that release. <laughs> I still have a, I have a Snow Leopard install CD, DVD. <laughs> and yeah, I got a couple pieces of hardware where that, that's about the only OS that'll run. Does that include an Apple version of the Cube? Uh, it's got one of those in the back here somewhere. It's paid up that CD as I kept around for just that purpose. Throw that here. <sighs> who was it? Mark Sinekin. He was the guy who ran the Blue Box team. Yeah, yeah, Mark. Yeah, that was that was that was the, that was a really fun part about the early days of Rhapsody, where the AUX team and the Blue Box team and the Next team. Although it was Mark Gorlinski who did uh, it during the bring-up. And, and Jeff Robbins was kind of the, before, before iTunes, Jeff Robbins was kind of the main tech lead. Hmm. Yeah. Finnegan was an amazing curmudgeon. He was fun. He was. <laughs> yes. My favorite was that he was the one. For our sins. He was the one who was always harping on us to have better process and better documentation. Yeah. And one of, it was one of his engineers that lost the code for Blue Box because they didn't have a backup. <laughs> you mentioned Ron DeMont, Ernie. You know how much therapy you just did? <laughs> <laughs> I know a good yoga teacher, Mark, that might help you. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, the other name, of course, I can't. I, it would be incomplete with Christine O'Sullivan, who I could not find oh on LinkedIn. Yes, luxury winemaker wine to the stars now. God bless her. So, Blaine, I have, why, don't you, why don't you try and sell your uh, Snow Leopard uh, CD as an NFT? <laughs> Actually, I have a couple of them. I have an internal version of them. You know, they used to, you know, they, they'd press them and then put on a bunch of macOS 9 and macOS 9 tools stuff still. So I have an internal 
uh, a snow leopard, and I still think I got, you know, a public, you know, the, the box public version as well. Interesting. NFTs. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you see John Cleese's uh, artwork he did an NFT for? A hand drawing of the Brooklyn Bridge? No. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I got a bridge I want to sell you. The Brooklyn yeah. Bridge. Yep. <laughs> I've still got shrink wrap boxes of Next Step developer Quad Fat. Oh my gosh. I think Next Step Spark as well. Let me look. Yeah, Next Step 33 Spark. Uh, I have a bunch of Next Time CDs if anyone needs but, them. Uh, but does anybody have a CD player they'll actually go in? <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw it, but I, I scanned in the images of my original, original Next Step box where we bought some PC software. We bought the name Next Step from some PC software company. Oh my gosh. It's wild. It's like some application builder software, and the requirements were like PC XP or PC AT. Wow. Well, the most amazing business hack was was uh, Next selling OpenStep to Sun Microsystems. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then probably. And then promptly abandoning it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they got, got us back later. They got us back and later. Next step 3.0. <laughs> I remember that with, I remember coming back from like a long vacation and Bertrand and I had, had hacked in categories on protocol, categories on protocols. And oh. the app kicked going, wow, this is the best thing. I came back from vacation and they go, you know, uh, Sun bought our old release, and they didn't want this new stuff, so we ripped it out. Well, the old and the new were kind of the same. We just had changed a car star into an S-string. Oh, yeah. I'm Life before NS-strings. That was exciting. We had to use MythKit, Don Yakman, to get basic utility classes. Yeah, no, no, Bertrand led a project that turned out to be Foundation, where, you know, we were through together all the latest ideas. He had, uh, you know, uh, property lists and other stuff, and uh, I had reference counting in, our, in the first versions of remote objects that shipped, and we just glued them all together to build Foundation, and um, and that really was the start of Mac OS X. Hmm. Yeah, but we we misnamed property list. We should have called it JSON. <laughs> so close. Well, I'll just say two quick things. One, nextstep.com points to easy, flexible nursing assistant training. <laughs> just to make everyone feel old and deprecated. And, uh, <laughs> And it's time for me to go feed my cat, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wave uh, goodbye. But yeah, awesome. I think I want to try and wrap this up as well. But if anybody wants to get some final comments in, this is your chance. If not, we'll do this again in five I, years. I just want to say thanks. Thanks, Ernie. For, for I came along near the end, and I really appreciate all of it. And all of my complaints about having to deal with things in a server situation were not anyone here <laughs> except Jordan. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to thank thank Ernie for. 
pulling this together and maybe you know maybe we can do an actual zoom call at some point that would be fun to see all the yeah, old gang let's graduate and use video who's been vaccinated <laughs> absolutely Right, well, Who has everybody. been vaccinated? Thank everybody again. Thank, thank you to Ernie for putting this together. Yes, thank you, Ernie. You're welcome, thank everybody. You, thank you, engineering Ernie. hates to talk to marketing, but they hate to talk to engineering more. So I've got to bring everyone together. Oh, I returned the I returned the favor many times as you remember. <laughs> Both senses, yes. <laughs> Bye. Hey, it's it's great to hear all you guys again. That's it's really fun. Yeah, it is. Hooray! 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 Bye. 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 I'll post the audio onto the X list somehow so I can figure out a server for it. Good night. Goodbye. Good luck. Thanks again, Annie. Bye.